You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. All right, we are back. Another episode of The Beltway Briefing. You have me, Howard Schweitzer, Patrick Martin, Towner French, Caitlin Martin, and Tristan Bro. Mark, Mark has abandoned us this week. I don't know where he is. He's in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. He's in one of his liberal bastions of <laughs> ivory tower-ism and whatever. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Brooklyn is hardly an ivory tower, but I'll, I'll give it liberal. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. The so, housing prices might be in the millions, but that's very true. Though it's actually low rent. <laughs> okay, so we had a very intense episode of the Beltway Briefing last week that three of you conveniently skipped. Uh, Towner and I were there. Got a lot of reaction from listeners. On, what did on you both, guys do on both sides of the aisle? We're left unsupervised. That's right. <laughs> the everybody kind of it, it to me it was a reflection of our times. The 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 people on the left, um, you know, saw it for from from their point of view, and the people on the right saw it from their point of view, and you're never the two shall meet. But the the common theme was it like. All everybody wants to talk about is one person. Mark Alderman. Exactly, Patrick. Everyone, the people want it. Democrats, Republicans, they can't get enough of Mark. And they just, everyone's got something to say about it. Exactly. No, we know who the person is. And what... This is like Voldemort and Harry Potter. He he will shall not be named. names. That's right. What what I what I have said to all the Democrats that I got reaction to this week is from this week is like why I get the need to call out bad behavior. I do. I think it's very very important. But you also have to move the country forward, and you have the reins of power. And why are you spending all of your time talking about the last guy who might be the next guy? Oh, dear God, no. (laughs) He might. I mean, he's going to run. And why are you spending your oxygen giving him oxygen? Because that's all it is. The only reason the guy got elected in the first place is because every single news channel, every single website, and every single person couldn't stop talking about Donald Trump. That's why he got elected. So why do the Democrats, Patrick and Tristan, just keep talking about Donald Trump? Listen, I I don't think it's that simple. I mean, and I, I don't I don't think that the media covering Trump and the Democrats uh, trying to defend against Trump or, or you know stand up to Trump are the same. Thing. And I think that, you know, what I 
I think the Democrats are in a tough position, right? Because they would love to move past Trump. I think they hoped after the election, after the insurrection, everything, that the Republicans were kind of going to be done with Trump and ready to move on. And that just hasn't happened. And so they're in the unenviable position of if, if you just ignore him, uh, if, if, you're, if your point is that if the Democrats ignored him, Trump would just go away or his stranglehold on the Republican Party would stop, I, I don't agree with that. I, I think that as long as we are in a two political party system and one of those two parties is controlled uh, by one person, it's going to be really hard not to ignore them. And I think the Democrats feel like for the sake of the country, for the sake of keeping their base motivated for a potential rematch in 2024, they have to publicly refute it. Like take January 6th, uh, just a perfect example. What are we supposed to do? Like, is it kind of one of these things like, you know, sometimes in life you get real mad about something like really mad. And then it, you just let yourself cool off. And, and you know, a week or so later, you're like, oh, I'm not that mad about that anymore. Is that what we're supposed to do with January 6th? Just kind of like enough time goes by and we're like, yeah, it wasn't that bad, I guess. Like it was crazy, no. but the country's crazy. So as long as we're doing the January 6th commission, we're going to be talking about Trump. Uh, as, so I just don't know what the Democrats are supposed to do. I mean, Trump, he's a reality. <laughs> Literally a reality TV guy. Um, <laughs> living color. So in my, here's the thing is that what, you know, most viewers as well as Republicans have to understand is, is that this is no different than the last administration. Um, you know, Trump talked about Obama for two years into his term, like everything that he wanted to do, he compared it to Barack Obama. We, we always do this as it relates to the last guy, because we never had a female, the last guy who took the office. And so it, there's no difference in you know what's happened before. The only big difference is, is that everybody just wishes we don't talk about the guy. But he was the last president, as you know, and, and you all may disagree, but as horrible as a president as he was, you know, he was the last president. So we're gonna talk about him and we're gonna, you know, blow it up. But I think Democrats have to understand that they have a record to run on and stop doing it at the, the comparison to Donald Trump. And for the record, Democrats aren't really talking about him. Progressives are. And it's like, it, and that's that's the problem, is that progressives don't see their platform moving within the party or in Congress at all or with this administration. And so their biggest thing is to make the big bad guy, which he is, Donald Trump, because they're not getting anything done. Ultimately, Just say, got a yeah. lot of stuff done. But Listen, I love that. I love that because maybe the reason why the party who gains power always loses in the midterms is because they spend the first two years talking about the previous guy instead of talking about their accomplishments. Because most administrations don't have the number of accomplishments, quite frankly, in such a short period of time that because of COVID largely, the Biden administration does over the course of the last year. They actually have a record to run on that's a little bit more substantive. The only time we didn't see uh, the the minority party pick up seats in the midterm election was back, you know, post 9-11, which was a totally different situation and, and gave the Bush administration, the, the young Bush administration at that point, something actually to run on that gave them a record, something they were doing and, and working proactively on. And so, you know, maybe it is maybe it is time to, to leave the Trump uh, legacy behind and talk about 
you know, successes. I don't know. I I don't necessarily want Democrats to do that because I feel like they're going to talk about Trump all the way up till November of this year and they're going to lose a whole bunch of seats in both houses. But, you know, if and I remember how do, you, that, how do you do that? This is where January 6th, it, it's, it is important, though. Had January 6th not happened and Trump just left office and he was still politically relevant and still, you know, maybe going to seek the nomination, <clears throat> I think Democrats would be ignoring him more than they are right now. The problem is yep. you have an ongoing investigation by Congress. And as long as that commission's going on, yep. the members are going to have to talk about it. I, I just don't know yes. how else... It's absolutely fascinating to me, too, because the first iteration, not this is not a political point in any way, shape or form. The first iterations of the January 6th commission had a December 31st, 2021 end date. They envisioned sort of, you know, we need to get the info. We need to wrap it up. And now we're in this this, you know, situation where the the January 6th commission is going to last all the way to the end of 2022, quite frankly, at the current pace they're going. Well, I'm just sitting back chuckling to myself because we just did what Howard started with about giving it air and talking about it and every podcast starting. We've got we've got some big things going on in the world. We've got a buildup on the border of Ukraine and Russia and a potential Russian incursion. We've got we've got a lot going on, a lot, some big issues in the world. And here we are falling into the same trap as we were just talking about, wanting to relitigate something that happened over a year ago now that whether we like it or not, whether you feel personally this way or not, most of America isn't still sitting around talking about January 6th well, with Donald J. Trump. Well, I, I think it is important to talk about really bad things that have happened. Like, it's a really bad thing. If you don't talk about it and you don't call it out, then it happens again. And so you have to, but you have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. And that's where I just don't think this administration is is doing what it can be doing in that regard. I mean, so and I think I think it can be done. I think you can call it out. You can focus on on the bad behavior, but not make everything about Trump. If you look at the last two elections, including Biden's election, other than the top of the ticket, the the Democrats got have gotten trounced, or they've way underperformed um, down ballot, and I think th- there's a clear message here to me anyway that the population at large doesn't want they they don't necessarily want what either side is selling, but they're they're very skeptical of the Democratic message. You know, Biden won, but down ballot, they did very poorly. And in the most recent election, um, same same thing. They way underperformed. So if if you articulate a clear vision for the future at the same time that you focus on the past, focus on the negative, but you can't make every conversation about the last guy. You have to make it about policy. But even when you call out bad behavior, even within the Republican Party, you get you're considered to be out of mainstream with what we need to do. Like you, they they even get chastised for calling out bad behavior, which is wrong. And so if you can't even call out bad behavior, what are we doing? Oh, you have to call it out. You have to shine a spotlight on it. But um, and you have to deal with it. But that doesn't 
mean that you come on the this podcast or cable news and that's all you talk about. You have to talk about the vision for the future. You have to talk about you have to have a vision for the future, I guess, is my point. I agree with that, Howard. And what I took as a listener on last week's podcast, not a participant, the, the takeaway I had was if all we're going to talk about is Trump every week, why are we even going to have a podcast? Like, there, I think, Caitlin, you're kind of alluding to that just a minute ago. Like, it, I, that can't be all we talk about every week, right? I, and I it's don't, not I usually. I think no, it's not. But I think that's where there was debate about kind of the both sides ism and a lot of this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, we're trying to get back to comparing Republicans and Democrats. Like Trump can't hang over every single debate we have because otherwise the democratic argument is like, yeah, but the alternative is Trump. We're we're trying, I think, to be fair on the podcast and having uh, more of a traditional democratic Republican debate and not trying to have Trump dominate every single issue. Yeah. Because we actually have, we are actually exist for a reason. We have a business. We represent clients. We are out and about talking about real issues each and every day. And we work with everybody, Towner. I mean, yeah, you've had some, you have some perspective on this. Yeah. We don't have, we don't have the luxury of being ideologues in our business. (laughs) I mean, there are a couple of firms out there that are Republican only or Democrat only, you know, but but if you're going to be a good multi-client lobbying firm, you're working with everybody. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, it's it's unfortunate that uh, that some folks go talk to firms where, frankly, they're limiting their scope of, of being able to help that individual. I mean, there's Republicans and Democrats on both sides of the aisle that are working together. This summer in Congress, we could see upwards of three different major packages be approved on a bipartisan basis. Healthcare is one that's huge that's being talked about right now. Um, you know, some some things in the in the financial services space. COVID You're, relief was largely COVID very relief. bipartisan. I mean, <laughs> these are things where you have to be engaging on both sides of the aisle. And the, the sad part about it is, in my opinion, members of Congress know that. Even though the rhetoric happens all the time uh, right. and everybody's on the cable news shows, they're still introducing bills in a bipartisan manner. I mean, 6,700 bills have been introduced, mostly on a bipartisan basis, quite frankly, in the House of Representatives over the course of the last 13 months. I mean, it's it it's something people talk about on TV, partisanship, and then they go back into Congress right. and the blocking and tackling gets done. It's, it's like I always say about my experience coming out of Treasury, where you had lots of members vote against um, the TARP. Uh, you know, I'd go in their offices both while I was still at Treasury and 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 since then, and meet with people who voted against it. And they were, you know, the members say to me, "Yeah, I I know you know I hated it, and you know I said all this stuff about it, but what you did was really important, and it had to be done. And thank you for your service, or whatever the hell they say." But the point is, like, they were spewing rhetoric on Fox or. CNN, and it's different than what they actually think, which you can talk about the distastefulness of that on some level. But like you said, they get it themselves. And if you if you want to see hope for, you know, this is what we do every day. We are in meeting with these members and these staffers. We're watching these congressional hearings very closely. And 
two things I watched this week that really restored some of my faith in the institution and, and showing that it works. And I recommend our listeners tune into a congressional hearing, not one of the January 6th commission necessarily. That's going to be a bit more partisan of a of a breakdown. But Man. we saw but we saw <laughs> that the House Rules Committee meet this week on hundreds of amendments to the to the China bill that competes act and just the congeniality between the Republican Jim McGovern and, and Tom Cole and the congeniality between with amendments and yes you know there were some messaging bills that were never going to garner the support there were some bipartisan amendments that passed on the Senate side this week Senate Environment and Public Works Committee which I'll remind our listeners it was Senator Carper and Senator Shelley Moore Capito that really were the impetus for the the delivery of this bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed and was signed into law. You know, watching a hearing where they're trying to deal with recycling policy and and working together. And that's what people don't see enough of. And I would encourage viewers to turn off Fox News and MSNBC and tune into a good old congressional hearing every once in a while. C-SPAN, exactly. Commercial for C-SPAN. No, I I was on the Hill this week, virtually speaking. Um, uh, talking to offices um, about cryptocurrency and its environmental impact, which is a very hot topic. And there was a hearing, an oversight hearing a um, couple of weeks ago. And, um, you, you know, you think the Democrats are going to be anti-crypto because it's, you know, climate and energy intensive and the Republicans are going It's not like that at all. These are very nuanced conversations where people are trying to understand the issues, frankly, at a shockingly sophisticated level. They know they kind of know enough to be dangerous. They want additional perspective and and they're gathering that perspective and factoring it into the positions they want to take on very important issues going forward. That's what we do for a living. That's how the sausage gets made. That's fundamentally like what people don't see, to your point, Caitlin, on you know the news channels. Patrick, you you, you were in some of these. You you heard it and you know you live it every day. We all do. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and I think hopefully going forward, we'll continue to to make this podcast a a place where we can exchange ideas, perspectives, you know, sometimes it's Republican Democrats, sometimes it's baby boomer versus millennial, but we got, we got all sorts of things to talk about that go beyond the former president. And I think that we'll, we'll continue to do that and we'll try and set an example for uh, our friends in Congress. Don't forget about that. Although not on the rules committee, Towner, I think you loved the, I, I saw you getting, getting misty eyed and wistful as you were here, as Caitlin was talking about the congeniality of the rules committee. Caitlin is actually spot on here. Rules committee outwardly is by far the most uh, partisan committee in the house of representatives, but then they all hang out afterwards. I mean, I spent 12 of my 15 years on the Hill with the rules committee and probably got to know more Democrats on a friend basis through the rules committee than than any other facet of, of working in Congress. It's uh, everybody sort of gets the joke, I guess, to a little degree that uh, that you got to you got to fight for the cameras and then you have a handshake and a beer afterwards. The problem, Tristan, is that the country doesn't see what we see every day. The country doesn't see that. 
Well, I will add, there was a really great exchange at the National Prayer Breakfast this week between President Biden and Leader McConnell and and, an acknowledgement of these two men have worked together for decades and they are, you know, I think Biden referred to him as my good friend. And I think it was a little bit of an olive branch from some of the dust up of the past couple of weeks and, you know, McConnell's response to Biden's fiery speech on voting rights. But at the end of the day, they both served in the U.S. Senate together. They've cut deals across the aisle together. And that was just another example I wanted to highlight this week of, you know, yeah. congeniality I mean, across is, the aisle. That is a special, uh, a really special event. And, you know, in addition to the National Prayer Breakfast, there's also the weekly Senate Prayer Breakfast that all the senators go to. And my former boss, that was his absolute favorite thing. And he said he learned more about his colleagues and who they were as people at that breakfast than any kind of legislative committee or anything that it's really where people kind of came and bared their their souls in front of you know the people they work with every day and it's uh i agree caitlin that was a great call out that was a really really nice exchange and i i think however the problem too increasingly uh, i don't think it's always been this way but i think part of the problem too is in addition to what people are watching on tv every day unfold on cable news we have sort of like segregated our own worlds to be, to reflect our own views. People watch the media that reinforces their views. They read the media that reinforces their views. They follow things proactively and unfollow things they don't like. They live in communities around people who are just like them and have the same views as they do. And it's like, I just think, you. T- I mean, you talk to, you know, my parents' age, my grandfather's age, it doesn't sound like it was always like that. And now, I think it's more like that than ever. And I think it's really increasing uh, or speeding up the polarization that we're all experiencing. Cause I just don't think people realize how much so, they share in common so, with their neighbors. So what, what do we do about that, Tristan? Like, how do, how do we, like, people don't see it. People don't see the commonality, the behind the scenes stuff. What, what do we do? You know, it, it's interesting. You know, we have to figure out how, um, to watch our words, but also understand that, you know, hot mics have been the the downfall of so many elected officials over the years. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, as the proud you know, African-American dad to an African-American daughter um, who's 11 years old, you know, she was so excited to hear about the, the potential of a, the first black woman to go on the Supreme Court. And I was watching the news and um, Senator Wicker made the comment of, uh, they played the clip of him saying it was because of affirmative action. And my daughter looked at me, what's that means? Uh, and I have to explain what that means. And so it's in her eyes like, oh, so you have to be of a certain standard or or the, like, I'm confused. Is she qualified or not qualified? Like, how is it? So, I mean, our kids are listening to that. And so your words, like even though there's congeniality and even so that they're working to push so much legislation, all the news media is continuing to play is how to keep us fighting each other mm-hmm. and how to make sure there's, that there's division. And so, you know, we have to figure out how to break down legislation. That's our job. 
<laughs> of breaking down what it means of what they're doing. And yes, they're friends. And, you know, it was important for President Biden to say those words of the prayer breakfast because so many people are hurting and so many few people feel like the other side is their enemy. And so we, again, as as lobbyists, really, and really as um, the mouthpiece for our clients to the Hill and from the Hill to our clients to break through all of that. And to like break it down and saying, yes, we're going to accomplish something. And not just to our clients, to our friends, to our family members, to our you know close associates, folks we used to work with. That's what we have to start doing is having real conversations. Yet we actually are friends. We just have fundamental disagreements. And yes, some hot mic things that can happen, but that's not what they really, really mean. Patrick, you're on mute. A Sorry, common kids, uh, pandemic freeze. Yeah, when my kids are running around upstairs, I try to mute in between comments. But no, Tristan, your point, that's a, uh, I mean, that has to be a tough conversation to have at home. I think it'll be balanced out by a really neat historic moment, hopefully uh, in the coming days and weeks, which I know was alluded to a little bit on the podcast last week. It's, it's going to be really exciting. And you've seen Democrats and Republicans both say uh, that we should have uh, our elected and our appointed branches of government look more like America. And I think that's, I think that's really exciting for Democrats and Republicans. And the way that I know that's not just a democratic perspective, by the way, uh, even though it's been a lot of, of the talk this last couple of weeks, because of president Biden saying he's going to nominate an African American woman, the way I know that that is not just a democratic perspective is not just what Lindsey Graham and a couple other senators said, uh, but Ken Griffin, the largest Republican donor in the country, uh, is investing millions of dollars recruiting women, African-Americans and veterans to run for office. And I think that's a great thing. So Democrats and Republicans both recognize we need to bring more people into the process that look different, that have different life experiences. And that isn't about liberal or conservative. That's just about making sure that our institutions reflect the diversity of our country. I think that's great. And Lindsey Graham said it best. You know, he he said, if you want, if you're asking me if I want, you know, the institutions of our government to look like America, then I'm all for it. You know, I, I actually wish more Democrats would say that. Like, you, you make this out to be a, uh, you know, a Latino issue, a black issue, an Asian issue. Like, can we just talk talking about we look like America? Like that, that is our focus or should be our focus. Caitlin, how proud were you with how many women got elected and Republican women in the last cycle? You were immensely proud on the podcast. It was amazing. It was, as I said many times, the year of the the Republican woman and and we're continuing to recruit great candidates and think you're absolutely right. I would like to think that those women would be, but but you're right. If we didn't put such an investment, the Republican party or whomever it was in specifically going out and recruiting those folks, then we probably wouldn't have seen those. And and it's, it's, you know, it's great to see. And I think the Supreme court, you know, pick is going to be something that we talk about for the next couple or next couple of weeks. And um, it's going to be a, you know, historic moment for the country. Maybe this is a way to (laughs) unite and have a different conversation. It's a Supreme Court pick. It's not going to unite. America's eyes are going to glaze over during the confirmation here. So look, this I am not in- watching any of the, the confirmation hearing. I just I can't do that to myself. I just can't. I'm sorry. So they're going to have to go out and censure any Republican that votes for the the pick. So you know, Jeez. well, no, because I mean, to the point. I mean, obviously, Lindsey Graham is. 
campaigning for a particular, (laughs) he's politicking for a particular nominee. Um, So are a number of members. Mm -hmm. So is Tim Scott, uh, Clyburn. I mean, in this case, it's all the same person, I think. You would have in that case, Howard, if it's, if she's the pick, you would have an African-American conservative Republican Senator from South Carolina introducing the first African-American female nominee to the Supreme Court at the hearing. How cool would that be? I mean, that'd that'd, that'd be awesome. And, and Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey Graham. (laughs) (laughs) And that is why Democrats, Biden's probably not going to go with that pick, but we'll see. Is it? Would be good if he did. It would be good if he did. I think he might. I I think he might. I think he also, the interesting part too, is always with the Supreme Court on the education credentials. There's, that really weighs heavily on the pick. There are just people who think that unless you went to Ivy League law schools, you have no business serving on the Supreme Court. And I think there's a lot of people who don't agree with that. And I think yeah. uh, the question is really, how does the president come down on it? He obviously is a, a state school educated guy, but he has shown an interest in surrounding himself over the years with more of an Ivy League educated uh, inner circle, I think, to maybe balance out some insecurities he feels sometimes but at the end of the day maybe he recognizes this is a tremendous opportunity to pick someone who uh looks and has been educated a little bit more like uh the rest of the country so that i think that's an interesting part of it too at the end of the day you have to understand he was chairman of the judiciary committee uh and so his his philosophy of this goes deep um and what he doesn't want is uh to 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 miss this moment um, because of you know past words or someone's past ruling of something, so he is diving deep into everyone's background to make sure this is a seamless process, even though it won't be yeah, that's a good uh, point. as possible. I think there's a big difference, Patrick, between surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you are, which is not not to say that the only people that are smarter than you are, are people that went to Harvard and Yale. Um, although for you, Patrick, that may be the case, but probably the case, um, probably, but that's actually the sign of a good leader is somebody that surrounds herself or himself with people that are more capable than they are. This is different. I think this is, this is a pick that should reflect, um, and it's not, the Ivy league does not have a lock on the most intelligent people that, um, and it's really good that Mark is not on the podcast for this point, because, you know, as with two Ivy league degrees, he may take issue with it, but that's where his ivory tower niche comes from. Yeah. Ivory and he tower. went to Brown. That's a whole different thing. That's <laughs> yeah. That is kind of like, that's like a Montessori college. They're doing, I don't know what they're doing there. Everyone's writing their own curriculum. It's right. It's like the step, child of the uh, Ivy League. But no, I think he has the opportunity here to say, hey, I'm going to place somebody on the court who doesn't have the Harvard Yale pedigree, who like understands where real people come from and um, brings additional perspective to the process of making decisions on the laws of this country. And that's that's powerful. And I don't think he necessarily carries forward the view of what he, who he chooses to surround himself with as a president to this pick. And I don't know if I'm making any sense, but no, I totally agree with that. I think you're, I think you're spot on. I mean, there's that route. And then 
I think there's, um, you know, the, the potential that he, you know, there's three or four women on the short list who have those, the sort of Harvard Yale credentials and, you know, with all of this absurd criticism around qualifications and litmus tests and everything else, that could be a way to just kind of refute all of that, which, which is what he said in his announcement, which is he is going to pick an extraordinarily qualified person who happens to be an African-American woman. And I think that uh, it'll just be interesting to see, you know, he's everyone on the shortlist has got an incredible story and it'll just be really interesting to see who, who he picks. I mean, I think the most point, of them yeah. were also on president Obama's shortlist as well. It's they've been, you know, considered before. It's not like they're brand new. The point is like, there are all sorts of different ways to get at diversity, Tristan. And um, definitely, you know, and they're, they're important. And I think this administration is tuned into that, but what's your, what do you have to say about that? No, I, I, I think they are. I think they are. And I, and I, I really honestly believe that, um, you know, uh, you and Caitlin and, and Tommy give me hope to believe that the Republican party actually believes that too. Um, but I do think that there are members who actively want to see things change and they want to see things, people in quali- qualified individuals in positions, no matter what they look like, but at the same time representing the country. You know, I, I oftentimes look at, um, you know, I, I will be quick to tell all my Democratic colleagues for the longest period of time, the only black, black female, by the way, chief of staff in the Senate was the chief of staff to Tim Scott of South Carolina and a Republican. <laughs> Out of all the Democrats, the only black chief of staff was by a Republican. And so, you know, we, we, we have to start highlighting all those different areas. And, you know, we, we're, we're a growing country. We're a thriving country. We are a strong country, but we are a diverse country. And we need to make sure that 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 is looked like not just in our elected officials, but our policies. And that's what we do. Like we're here to make sure that we're representing our clients, you know, across the gauntlet of things and showing what America looks like to help policymakers make make those decisions. So we're we're needed now more than ever in the conversation, whether it's, again, in the cannabis space or the coin based space or the housing space or the transportation space, whatever the case may be, we're helping drive that dialogue. And it's so important. Well, with that, on that note, um, I think that's a great place to leave it. Very, very thought provoking and interesting conversation, guys. Uh, Glad that uh, glad that we were able to 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 dive into all this and hopefully our listeners found it interesting. And uh, I guess we'll let Mark back next week. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Kind of. We'll see. We'll see. I think he's coming back after he hears this. He's definitely he's, he's gonna have a rebuttal. Coming back. <laughs> he has to defend the Ivy League. He's gonna yeah. At Brown University basketball team. Well, the thing about Mark is it's you know it's February. It's almost March Madness time, and he picks a different team every year. So he, I mean, he, his Brown team is never in it. So. You know, if uh, if Indiana's doing well, he's on the Indiana bandwagon. If so, Mark Mark doesn't. You know, his, when it comes to basketball, he diversifies his uh, academic allegiances. But he quickly yeah. moves away from the 16 seed Ivy League champion. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He knows All his right. weaknesses. Yeah. Exactly. All right, guys. 
fabulous as always. We will be back uh, next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Howard. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.